0: Before you go down a transparency journey, from my perspective, the most important thing you could do is pause, take a step back and ask, what are we trying to accomplish with transparency? What is the outcome that we want? When you go to your media agency and you're like, I want full transparency into everything, it can be very scary because they don't know what your intentions are. There was a lot of complexity there, and we all collectively realized, our agency partners internally, from the brand side, from the media side, that this was a huge opportunity.
1: Hello, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of The App Pod. Today I'm joined by Rachel Mervis, who is the Global Programmatic Capability Lead at Kimberly Clark. And we're going to be talking about programmatic transparency. I've been involved in programmatic since 2008, and transparency is something which comes up quite regularly, whether that be through industry studies, paranoia, mistrust. It often comes from a place of panic, this lack of transparency. Rachel has exceptional experience working for multiple brands in driving programmatic capability, and one part of that is transparency. In today's conversation, we get into some very practical tips and tricks into how and why to achieve transparency, stakeholders to include in the journey, how you might work with an agency, and tons more. This is an amazing episode. It's so practical and pragmatic, and I hope that you enjoy it. So all that leads me to say is, I hope that you enjoy Season 2, Episode 10 of The App Pod. Hey, Rachel, welcome to The App Pod. How are you doing?
0: Good, good, Wayne. How are you doing?
1: I'm very good. Yeah, the the fall weather here in New Jersey is a real treat. So I, <laughs> it's nice to look outside. It's not raining or too hot. So good for sure. me being a Brit here.
0: Is it is it nicer in New Jersey today than in uh in UK?
1: Well, I think today. I mean, my British friends have been saying it's been quite nice recently, but no, I think uh, I think I'm winning, which is good. Which is good. Mm,
0: that's good. It's always nice to beat your friends in the weather game. I'm in <laughs> I'm in LA, so I try to to not speak toward it as uh, I pretty much beat everyone every day. It's nice and uh probably uh, 75 and sunny out.
1: There it's you perfect. go. Um, so, yeah, before we get into it, I think for those who might not know you, it'd be great if you could give kind of a quick intro to your career and also what you do now.
0: Absolutely. Thanks so much, Wayne. So, I am the Global Programmatic Capability Lead at Kimberly Clark. And I have worked across the programmatic industry for, wow, going on eight years now, but it's really, it's really flown by. And I've, um had the opportunity to work across the, the landscape of programmatic, which has given me a, a bit of a 360 degree perspective, and I really believe helps me to understand different sides of the industry. And because of that, helps me to push the industry forward in regard to many issues such as transparency. So I started out my programmatic career in the publisher side at eBay. Uh, one of the first companies that launched audiences uh, in its true form. Then I shifted over to the agency side and um, actually did the purchasing, the setup, the, the, the real nitty-gritty work of programmatic setup, as well as paid social campaigns, and um, as well worked a bit on just how do we pull data through the consumer journey and activate it in a meaningful way that really built my built uh, that really built my understanding of the base of programmatic which i believe is so important to be able to guide strategy from there i shifted over to the the brand side and became the first global programmatic lead at nestle moved over to switzerland from new york city which let me tell you, moving to a town of uh, 120,000 people after living in Manhattan is is quite the shift. I think uh, that Netflix movie they launched uh, about uh, the woman in Paris from New York was uh, actually made after me. Emily, uh, there in, quite Emily some, in Paris. Yeah. Yep, Emily in Paris that was <laughs> that was my life, Wayne. That was my life in Switzerland and uh, have so many wonderful experiences and so many wonderful stories for for another time. But at Nestle did quite a few things around accelerating the digital transformation across programmatic, um, whether it be honing in on transparency, whether it be insourcing uh, contracts and relationships, taking more accountability for our decisions. And um, from there, I, I Got the incredible opportunity uh, at Kimberly-Clark that I'm in now and working with our teams across the globe on accelerating our programmatic journey here. And it's it's really exciting. I've been here for about a year and a half now. So we're really making some headway. And over the past year and a half, have seen some significant changes that we're, we're truly excited about to bring to life.
1: That's awesome. Thank you for the context, and yeah, we're obviously here today to primarily talk about programmatic transparency. And I think um, your career is similar to mine. You would have heard it mentioned a few times in different studies, etc. And we kind of like to start the podcast by sort of setting the scene. And we often kind of hear that you know the term. There are different flavors of transparency. So, and when talking about, <laughs> so when talking about programmatic, what does programmatic transparency mean to you?
0: You know, this is one of my favorite questions, Wayne. So thanks so much for asking it. Transparency is such a buzzword, right? We've been hearing this this word as a focal point for, I would say since the ANA white paper from 2016, actually is really when it started to take off like a shooting star just as a buzzword. But I believe it's important to take a step back and examine When you say transparency, what does it mean to you? Transparency can be a very scary word. When you go to your media agency and you're like, I want full transparency into everything, it can be very scary because they don't know what your intentions are. And so I believe it's important to take a step back and examine well, what are our intentions? What is the outcome that we're trying to get to? What do we actually want to understand? And so what? What are we going to do with that understanding once we have it? And so transparency can mean entirely different things. For example, it can mean, do you want transparency into how decisions are made? Do you want transparency into, for example, why we're using DSPA versus DSPB? Why we're using add verification partner A versus add verification partner B. Do you want, or as a second option, do you want transparency into the day-to-day operations? The precise responsibilities and tasks that each individual is doing and the cadence to what they're doing them at. Third, it could mean which in, in many cases, it does. Do you want transparency into the finances? Do you want financial transparency? But when you say financial transparency, what does that mean? Do you want to know just what is being spent with each media platform in terms of media, in terms of data, in terms of technology at a high macro level? Or do you want a micro level that involves the metadata of programmatic, the log level data that's pairing together, the most granular form of data to understand the end-to-end programmatic supply chain and where to the extent that you can understand each cent is going. So back to your question, before you go down a transparency journey, From my perspective, the most important thing you could do is pause, take a step back and ask, what are we trying to accomplish with transparency? What is the outcome that we want and what do we plan to do with that outcome? And if you do that and you align internally, you align with your partners, it becomes a wonderful journey for everyone. That's that's honestly fun, that's productive, and that really leads to getting stuff done rather than a huge stream of information where something is not done with.
1: Yeah, there's so many good points there. And like it's layers upon layers um, of transparency. And I think sometimes you see, you know, headlines that talk about X percentage of advertisers have this level of transparency. It's not very specific, and you're always wondering, well, what does transparency mean? And I think, I think that's such good advice to say, take a step back. Like, what are your intentions? Why would you want transparency? And I think in the early days, it was just because, well, it's our money. We want to know where it goes. But it's like, well, there's a lot of different things that, um, from an advertiser perspective, um, you know, the incentives in this, how the agency works, how their partners work, etc. So it's it is quite. A, A complicated topic but when you do strip it back and you think around like you know programmatic transparency what can the benefits be what would be a beneficial reason for 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 getting it
0: that's that's also a great question Wayne there's there's so many benefits from transparency and before I answer that question it's important that you once again know what you're going to do with that transparency or know how you are going to respond to that transparency and so take once again taking a step back and outlining just as you would with any business decision what is the roadmap after you receive that that transparency and it, it could be incredibly simple to start you know it could be as simple as okay aggregating opportunities from that transparency. Then prioritizing those opportunities by,, um, ease of execution and also impact. It could be as it could be as simple as that, but aligning on the front end and all agreeing with what you're going to do makes it so much easier on the back end to do it. Because once you do have all of that information, it can be quite overwhelming. And so thinking about how you're gonna use that information on the front end is really important. But back to your question on some things that can be done with it. this is that The, the process that I just outlined is exactly what we did at Kimberly-Clark. So when I joined Kimberly-Clark, the first thing I did was built the programmatic prioritization framework and aligned it with my partners across the org and my partners externally, uh, whether it be the agency or technology partners. and. I'm a big believer in starting with the foundations, not committing to the shinies until the foundations are there so that the shinies are so much easier to execute. And the foundation, one of the key foundation parts is understanding the baseline and getting transparency into all of the things that that we've been talking about. Transparency from a financial end, but not only financial transparency transparency into what technology was being used, transparency into what data partners were being used, transparency into how decisions were made, who was working on the accounts, not only what technology was being used, but what sub products of the technology were being used. So let's give ad verification as an example. It's, It's a simple one because of the binary products. For ad verification for our core countries, what brand safety products were being activated? Was it post-bid brand safety blocking? Was it pre-bid brand safety blocking? If we dig into pre-bid, was it the standard pre-bid being used or were custom strategies built and launched for Kimberly Clark? And within those, what were each of the costs? What, uh, which companies were being worked with, et cetera? We drilled into all of those different details and took a step back across the entire mad tech ecosystem and found the top opportunities. And some of the things that we discovered were simply because of how fast programmatic has moved over the past years, how uh, how many different individuals were working on it, taking the decisions. There was some duplication of technology. And that was a low-hanging fruit to really, to really hone in and refine the suppliers and the partners being used. I say suppliers, as in, if if as in you know standard business operations. We we these are absolutely our partners, but if you are working uh, on the supply chain you're not going to be purchasing through two providers simultaneously for the same exact product. You're going to then end up with a surplus of product. You might have a secondary partner for various different use cases, but you're not going to order from two providers at the same time for the same exact thing. And so we were able to do some cleanup, some deduplication. That might be something that's found. You might also find that there are partners being used that you weren't aware of. Or you might find insight into challenges that no one had really talked about before. You know, um, there's so many different teams working on an account. And with the way the world is operating right now, where the majority of people from the agency side are working from home, the teams are not always connecting as much as they used to, you know, you're not sitting across from someone and they're hearing you on the phone, and you're you're talking, you know, over coffee, and you're just you're just you're just chit chatting. So we found a lot of challenges that that really hadn't been talked about. One example being um, the complexity of how our audiences were selected, built, sent into different platforms in regards to the programmatic circuitry all connecting together for both media targeting and creative segmentation. And there was a lot of complexity there. And we all collectively realized our agency partners internally from the brand side, from the media side, that this was a huge opportunity to pull it all together in a slightly different way that would meaningfully impact How we were able to drive personalization for our consumers and bringing more relevance to their advertising uh, in front of them and bringing more relevance to them on the products and the brands that we bring into their day to day life. So, so much can be found. And you can guess before the type of things that would be found, but you will always be surprised at some enlightening insight that will make your paid advertising potentially beyond your programmatic so much more meaningful whether it be in effectiveness whether it be in efficiency or whether it just be in the perception of how that is received
1: yeah and I mean it's, it was interesting because you spoke to you know, lots of different things you can look at um, and and it all sort of interlinks. And oftentimes I sort of think, like, I know when I was agency side and a brand would ask about transparency, I'd be like, why? And actually, I think that point around, well, if I know what you're you're doing and you know what I'm doing, like, we combine the insight both ways. We're going to deliver, whether it's, you know, if it's the objective is personalization or ROI or CPA or, you know, relevance or whatever it might be, it's, it's, it probably – in a lot of cases, just means a better way of working is why transparency is so much more or, or, or can be so beneficial. I mean, I know in some cases, some brands don't have the resources, maybe, and or, or maybe don't have the priorities. But if you do, it feels like that for the you know, large advertisers, that seems like a, just a sensible way to be.
0: Yeah, I mean, you that's such an astute observation, Wayne. And, you know, one other... I would say soft benefit of doing an evaluation like this is you're able to observe how everything is working. When you're asking questions with the true intention of understanding what's happening, not just receiving answers, but the true intention of understanding what's happening, so much comes to light when you listen and you can really observe how your operations are working and if you listen and you not examine but you illuminate the different phases of how your campaigns get brought to life every single company is going to come to some realization that leads to a pretty big change in how they operate and i would implore anyone that does this type of journey to have a senior business professional on it, not exclusively a programmatic expert. Now, that programmatic expert might also be a senior business professional. At this point uh, in the programmatic journey of how many years programmatic has been available, there certainly are many people who are both programmatic experts and and true senior business professionals that you can find. Now that talent we all know is, is not so easy to get. So if you don't have someone who's both, I really implore that a company puts the extra resource forth of a senior business professional, because they're going to spot things from an operational stance, from a people stance, from a talent stance, from a processes stance, that it, that a emerging business professional just won't yet be able to spot. Not that they won't ever be able to spot it, but they won't yet be able to spot it. And honestly, that extra resource will be a multiplier in the benefits of this journey. And each of those individuals will learn so much from each other that 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 will be another soft benefit for your company. You know, the the senior business professional will start to learn a ton about programmatic. The programmatic individual will start to learn a ton about how to think about business. And together, it'll create movement. It'll it'll really ignite the journey. And that's that's a takeaway that for all listeners, I would recommend as one of the key takeaways from this, make sure to use your your transparency journey and appropriate the right and enough talent to make it as useful as possible to your company, because it's not going to be something that you do over and over again. And it will be a big time commitment. But if you put the right people forth, and you put the right amount of time forth, it'll be so worth it
1: yeah uh, it's interesting where those professionals might come from within the business you know not necessarily directly as you say in programmatic or even you know a digital team or marketing team they sort of can come from anywhere and just to take one slight step back I remember when the initial sort of transparency reports were being released as you say ANA in 2016 and others a lot of it was around this sort of like a trust issue and um, and how if you weren't transparent sh- transparent you couldn't trust I think that's that ship's kind of sailed but as we were saying like the ways of working like if you trust you've got this amount of someone on the account or you, you trust this is what they're doing you can see it And like, if you can actually see it you just start to build trust and build very productive relationships and I think it's very I think advertisers to be honest like you know way back when were very easy to point the finger and like point blame I was on the agency side and we had different models and you're like no I just try to do the right thing and they didn't really trust us in some cases I think transparency can sort of uh in a, in a, a good amount of cases if you if you want it you can sort of generate tr- trust and that's what of leads me into my next question really is the you know these sort of transformation programs they involve quite a few different stakeholders uh, as you were saying like you know maybe internally and externally like, how do you bring them on that journey with you? Like, how do you so encourage to make sure it's productive and not in this, you know, sometimes you've, you've seen other other companies a bit finger pointing?
0: Wayne, that's a that's a great question and an important question. These initiatives will only be as impactful as all stakeholders allow it to be. And in enabling that allowance people have to trust the process of the journey trust the people steering the journey and be on board with the structure of it and and the intention of it so to bring people along and to make sure that that, that is enabled the most important thing the step 1 is aligning. What does transparency mean? What do we? What outcomes do we want out of this? What um, challenges has each individual and each entity been having? And what questions can we ask to prod at that? Those challenges start to pull apart those challenges, almost like a. A tangled necklace. You know when your necklace and you probably don't know Wayne, but I'm sure someone has asked you to untangle a necklace oh, when I a necklace gets...
1: it, not myself, but I've been No,
0: no, all right. That well well enough, then man. uh maybe this will this will relate a bit more to women, but when you have a fine silver chain or a fine gold chain and it gets immensely tangled and you're you're trying to pull it apart, you're using you're using tweezers to start you know you're using your nails you're you're really working on it that's that's what that's what transparency is you know you're starting to pull it apart to unfold it to eventually create that straight line of of understanding of that baseline that straight line of that baseline and you're starting to unfold it and to get to that baseline Everyone should be on the same page of what does that baseline include. And so, what I've found is if the individual leading the journey or the individuals leading the journey put together the structure, put together what questions are going to be answered. But moreover, what are the what's the skeleton of the questions? What are the categories we're asking about decisioning? We're asking about technology setup we're asking about financial spend, speaking to each individual, each entity, each team, and walking them through what's being asked, allowing them to input and really listening, actually listening, not just sending it, sharing it, taking input and and kind of leaving it, but really listening to the questions and the asks, pulling them in, and then adjusting the overall um, the overall project intentions towards what people are asking that helps to enable success at the end. Now, some people might simply do that. Uh, from their internal side, but it's just as important to consult with agency partners, with key technology partners, and to walk them through the same structure. And that's how you enable, that's truly how you enable a successful transformation journey. You start with trust. And if you start with trust, trust breeds trust, just like you were alluding to a couple of questions ago. So if you go to your core technology partners and you say, these are our intentions. We want to understand how decisions are made. We want to understand where our spend is going. We want to understand what partners we're working with and how we're working them with them. What are their functions? What are their benefits? What are their core benefits and what are associated benefits? Where are we not maximizing the technology? What are the low-hanging fruit? What isn't working? What is broken? Let Show all of the partners what you're trying to do. Let them input their challenges. They all have them, and they would love the opportunity to speak on it. You talk to them at the beginning so that there isn't fear about what is trying to be done. If you talk to people and you are upfront and you are buzzword transparent from the beginning, you'll be so amazed at what's possible because this data, this the responses don't come out of nowhere. These technology partners have to answer them. Agency partners have to answer them across different um, teams. So many individuals will be inputting into this, but if they don't understand the intention, it's much harder to even give the answers that you're, look, that, that you're actually looking for, that you're hoping to receive because they're translating the question to what they think you're trying to get at, but that might not actually be what outcome you're looking for. And so, I mean, I, I know it seems obvious, but truly aligning on the front end and aligning with all your partners leads to success and it's it's a step that if it's skipped you won't hit the outcome that you're searching for that your company is searching for and that you're hoping to bring to the entire programmatic experience
1: yeah yeah in my experience if you don't have that alignment or collaboration from the get-go and it's um especially when it's like you know multiple departments sometimes multiple markets if everyone's not singing from the same sort of song sheet then you don't you don't get any progress everyone's trying to go their own different ways it definitely is a challenge you know you're trying to you're trying to balance like different people what d- different stakeholders want to do and uh, there's probably some give and take at times um but definitely where it goes wrong is when there's not a clear alignment as you say or there isn't like a a willingness to collaborate and do this, and um, I mean, we, we've used the word journey a few times in this, and because it, it is a journey, you start somewhere, you start moving, you end somewhere. Um, but it kind of like how long does these types of processes take? And that, that might be like how long is a piece of string, but but like you know, sometimes it can feel like oh, this is a 10 year thing, or others feel like oh, can we just, let's get it done in two weeks? Like, how do you how do you sort of frame the timing of it?
0: I would. That that's a great question, Wayne. I would say, well, it's unlikely to be two weeks, but um, I would say that's part of the reason it's so important to roadmap out what you're trying to accomplish and the various phases of what you're trying to accomplish into macro categories. So phase one being conducting the baseline evaluation. That that should take anywhere from two to six months depending on the complexity of your organization depending on the complexity of the scope depending on ease of access to data one of the one of the truths is and it and it really is a truth if you don't own your own technology contracts it's going to take longer on the front end that's where you're gonna get into the four to six month range and it's not because your agency doesn't want to give you the data it's not because your technology partners doesn't want to let you have access to the data it's true legal liability at this point with all the various privacy laws CCPA GDPR all the other associated ones there's a lot of legal contracts throughout the ecosystem every partner that you're working with has a legal contract with whomever owns that contract, but also a multitude of legal contracts with the other entities in the programmatic supply chain that they connect to. So a DSP has contracts with SSPs, with data providers, with ad verification providers, possibly with publishers, with ad servers, and certainly others that that are that I that I didn't just list. all of these contracts have their own terms, their own conditions about where the data can go to, who has access to the data, at what amount do they have access to the data. And so if you, as the advertiser looking to go down this transformation journey, don't own those contracts, it's just simply going to take time for legal access and with the various different hops down that programmatic supply chain that I just illustrated, it's going to take some time, depending again on the complexity of your operations. Are you con- conducting this examination for one country, for multiple countries, for multiple countries across multiple continents? Do those countries have the same holding company as a media agency? Do they operate as under the same child agency, how many contracts are there? All of this is going to lead into what the timelines look like. Now, if you own all of your contracts, it'll be much closer to to two months, depending on the scope of the examination. But it can take some time to just get access to this data and then answer the questions, walk through the results, really start to understand the results. So I would say phase one, building the structure of the examination. Phase two, actually conducting that examination. Phase three is uh, analyzing that examination, aggregating the information and coming out with outputs and opportunities. That's phase three. So say the first phase of aggregating the information takes four months. That's a good average amount. If you do it in four months, that is excellent work done by so many people across the board. And six months, six months isn't bad, especially when you think of the potential scope of this examination. So then once you start to aggregate all the insights, that can take anywhere from, you know, one to three months, again, depending on the complexity of the scope, complexity of your operations, if you're doing it for one country, five countries, 25 countries, then you're at, let's say, month seven to nine. And that's when you start to implement. And you've already prioritized the opportunities, you've said, these are the ones that we're going to do. And that's when you start to implement. And so that's phase four, I would say phase four can take anywhere between one year and three years. Again, depending on how many opportunities you have found, what are the interdependency of those opportunities? So a lot of times one of those opportunities is going to be insourcing technology. Okay, well, if you're insourcing technology, do you already know the technology you wanna insource or are there gonna be RFPs? If you're like any team I've ever seen, you're probably operating pretty lean. So you can't conduct six RFPs at once. You gotta gotta stage them out, right? You gotta stagger them because it's gonna be the same people within each of the RFPs or or quite close to the same people within each of the RFPs. And no one can handle six RFPs at once. So I would would love to meet that superhuman that can, that that really hats off to them for sure. (laughs) And, you know, there's other interdependencies of certain initiatives that are much harder to do if you don't own your own technology, possible, but harder. And there's, there's interdependencies. So I would say one to three years to bring the transformation to life is the timeline that you should expect. But certainly within one year, you will see meaningful results already of the impact of the changes
1: that's that's great so i i was I was making some notes because i thought the timelines were very uh pragmatic and quite often when you speak to people about them they are not they want to get done as quick as possible and you're saying around step one setting the baseline like uh, what challenges you want to overcome step two is the examination like working out the um like collecting all the information step three is like understanding the opportunities and then step four is the kind of try to implement them and whatever they might be. And that will take kind of can take anywhere from, you know, in total one year to three years, depending on the complexity and a lot of things that you spoke about. So, and I think that's just a, such a pragmatic view on how you go about transparency. And I think if you don't have that pragmatic view, you're just going to get very, very frustrated and annoy a lot of people along the way. So just try to be like, realistic about it. I think, it's such a good takeaway from from that.
0: That's a wonderful recap of the uh, of of what I walked through. and I would say not only will it be frustrating, but it just goes back to the basic business fact of setting expectations from the front end, aligning mm. what the expected outcome is going to be, and aligning the timelines and the phases, which is why step one, Set the expectations, align the expectations, and step two, build out your roadmap. And those phases, that can be the roadmap. It can be, it could be as simple as that. But if you align that from the front end with senior stakeholders across all of your partners internally and externally, it's going to lead into so much higher probability of success from a perception stance, from an actuality stance. And the fact is perception in many cases, that's what's treated as the truth. The truth is highly impacted by perception. So the perception of any initiative you lead is important. And if you want a positive perception, you need to set expectations from the front end.
1: That's great. Um, just moving on to my sort of second to last question. So um, we've seen like a number of studies around programmatic transparency over the years, and they all range in different ways. But the most recent one was uh, the sort of the programmatic transparency guide for CMOS, which was released by the A&A here over in the U.S. And I know that you were involved in the creation of that guide and I can clearly see why, given the way you've spoken around, so the steps that uh, brands and, and CMOs can go through. Um, But in relation to that guide, can you kind of just talk to, like, what the outputs were and kind of, like, you know, why it was created in the first place?
0: That's a great question, Wayne. So, um I I was lucky enough to be able to engage in writing this this white paper, and, and even being a lead in so much of the writing of this white paper. And the reason it was launched is because programmatic is becoming a bigger and bigger part of financial budgets. It's a many many billion dollar industry at this point across the board. It's no longer just a line item on a media plan. It's a significant portion of the media plan, a significant portion of the cost of goods of each of the monthly invoices that are received from the marketing side of the business. And frankly, you know, more and more executives are, are asking questions and they need to understand how it works. So, that they can consider it in their larger strategy and execution of that strategy. And as well, when they speak to the CEO, their board, their investors, questions are being asked across the board internally, externally. So, it's important that executives are able to speak to it. So, we wrote this white paper from hopefully the persp- hopefully the received and perceived perspective of business how does programmatic work in comparison to the stock market something that any executive is going to understand i found that that's a great metaphor in speaking towards it there's buyers on both sides there's sellers there's intermediaries it's an extremely fast transaction and then we walked into walked into how do you start that transformation pragmatically? I'm gonna I'm gonna take one of your words. What is the pragmatic journey to starting these conversations? What standards should you expect? What questions should you ask? And taking it through a crawl, walk, run, fly model i've found is is extremely beneficial because you're breaking it down into more bite-sized chunks that can then be delegated from the cmo or or whomever is reading this to their various team members
1: that's great and i, I think these these types of studies and because i sometimes think you know particularly cmos they've got a lot to do <laughs> you know, a lot of their plate at any one time and programmatic is just one part of it but it does sort of over-index in terms of its share within trade press. And like maybe the CMO stakeholder group, which might include, you know, the uh, CFO or CEO, however it might be, starts asking questions. And I think, you know, ANA in the US, ISBAR, WFA, um, there's probably many others I'm missing out around the world do such a good job to pull in the expertise of people like yourself and others to create this sort of support because as you say, it's a huge industry, it's only growing. So um, yeah, we may as well try and just make it as best we can, I guess.
0: I would love to just add one, one thing to that. One of my former vice presidents said something to me a couple years ago that that I still think about on a weekly basis. He said, you know, it used to be that as the boss, you had always done the job of the people under you. You had done that job before, so you knew how to do their job. And you were able to advise them on what you had observed in that situation, in challenges that you had faced, in resolutions that you had led. But now, with this digital emergence that has has truly, every way transformed the world that we live in. I'm not just talking programmatic here, you know, I'm talking every component that digital and the internet has brought to us as a humanity. Now, bosses have not done the jobs of the people underneath them. So they can guide them in terms of challenges and how to navigate blockers and how to assess different points in order to take a decision, but they don't necessarily know the hard knowledge of the information of the function of your job. And this white paper was intended to help executives and senior business professionals who don't have that hard knowledge to enhance that knowledge so that they can help their people and help their company steer down this journey
1: I love that that's such a a a good way of putting it um and finally we always ask this of guests and people would have heard you speak and really enjoyed it where could they find out more about you or get in contact with you
0: yeah that's a that's a great question thanks so much Wayne uh you can reach me on LinkedIn it's it's Rachel Mervis on LinkedIn and of course um you have questions in relation to Kimberly Clark or our various strategies, you can reach out to our external comms team and they will get in, um, they will get in contact with the right person as, as relevant.
1: Amazing. Thanks, Rachel. Really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the app pod.
0: Thanks so much, Wayne, for the opportunity. It's really been a pleasure.